Super Talk Mississippi Media Production. Toyota of Brookhaven has been voted best new car dealership in Southwest Mississippi four years in a row. Come see the difference. Exit 40 Brookhaven or online at toyotabrookhaven.com. Great service, great savings. At Toyota of Brookhaven, we deliver. He's the former president and publisher of the Sun Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome to Coast View, the show that every single day celebrates the men and women who are making coastal Mississippi such a great place to live, work, and play. One of the reasons why this is such a great place to live, work, and play is because we have a lot of leaders in this community who are focused on some view of success, some view of perfection, if there is such a thing. Uh, A couple of quotes that I want to share with you today. First one is from Cecil B. DeMille, and here's what he said. The person who makes a success of living is the one who sees his goal steadily and aims for it unswervingly. That is dedication. And the next one is from... uh, uh, Salvador Dali, the uh, the great artist, if you remember, he said, has such a unique uh, a way of, of uh, painting. But he said this, have no fear of perfection, you'll never reach it. Well, I guess that depends on what your definition of perfection really is. Um, in fact, do you even have a view of, of perfection in your life? I sent that quote to a friend of mine who is a, a very accomplished artist. He lives in Tennessee. And his name is Josh Blankenship. And he sent me back a note that I thought was uh, really, really powerful and it got my mind kind of thinking. But here's what he said. Uh, on the notion of what Dolly said, have no fear of perfection, you'll never reach it. He said, that's so true. But chasing, chasing perfection is one of, the mo- one of my best motivators. I tend to remember any tiny negative comment about my work. But when nothing immediately comes to mind, I defer to creating the perfect piece. And it's not even a perfection of technique or anything. It's about creating a piece that is per- that is that's a perfect pre- representation of my work. Perfection would be standing back when I'm finished and being completely satisfied with all aspects of a piece, every single brush stroke. I know it's near impossible, but the idea that it could exist keeps me chasing. I lo- I love this because it really it really says that um, in fact, how he says it is is a is a bit of perfection in and of itself. Um, but it's uh, it's not uh, just about technique. It's not just about a specific thing. But it's about your view of perfection. So think of your work. Think of the work that you do in the community. Think of the work that you do in your business as just a collection of brushstrokes, as as Josh puts it. Do you have a vision of what your your own perfection would would ultimately be if you achieved it? I think it's just food for, good food for thought. Um, but anyway, I think if I were to ask every guest I have, how did they describe their perfection or their success and and sort of what are some of the key brushstrokes along the way? I bet they'd be able to tell you. Now let's shift gears and move on to my friend, Dr. Moby Solange. He's the president and executive director of the Institute for uh, Marine Mammal Studies. He's also, I mean, as you well know, Ocean Adventures is one of the top attractions here in coastal Mississippi. And he's got a key role as it relates to the Bonacary Spillway. So we've got like a, a long list of things that we're going to chat about today. But without any further ado, let me just say good morning to you, Moby. How are you doing? 
Uh, good morning, Ricky. Uh, you know, I, I listened to your uh, discussion about perfection, and we'll talk about it, but hell, we've known each other for almost 40 years, and uh, uh, I've seen you become perfect every day. It's a struggle to do better. But yeah. uh, no, I, I'm very pleased that uh, you have invited me, and we look forward to a, a great discussion this morning. Yeah, we, we do have a lot to talk about. Yeah, you know, I, I believe that I'm my worst critic. I, I've always worked extremely hard. Now, look, here's the thing. There's no such thing as perfection, literally. I mean, literally. But there is a, there is a such thing as reaching goals. And I believed, you know, setting goals and making them attainable and then setting new goals and making them attainable. And I believed in burning the midnight oil, working extremely hard. Uh, most people who work shoulder to shoulder with me, they will tell you that I wore them out <laughs> because I was a monomaniac on a mission to do whatever it is I was seeking to do. So it was going to be it was going to be hard for you to outwork me. Now you might outsmart me. You might what I, you, you can out, but you may not have a you were going to have a hard time outsmarting me. That's true about you though, Moby. You've uh, you've been someone who burned the midnight oil who was just absolutely focused to achieve the goals that you set for yourself you know when you came to, came here you you wanted to make a difference and you have literally you wake up every day saying to yourself and your team that you're going to make a difference and it, and it, and you have made a difference and you sense that don't you absolutely i mean it's been a, a great adventure for my life i'm uh, you know very blessed uh, to be able to do a lot of things but i couldn't have done this without the help of uh, a lot of people. I came to the state of Mississippi in 1974 uh, when things uh, were rough. You know, we've always had to compete by being either uh, 48, 49, or 50 in in, in the 50 states. But uh, I think uh, it has been a struggle. Uh, I haven't given up. Uh, we've had our ups and downs, you know, the Katrinas, the oil spills, and whatever. But we have bounced back. And uh, uh, the help that we have gotten from the community, the political leaders, colleagues, uh, has made us what we are today. Well, what's interesting, okay, so for people who are not aware of the Institute for Mammal, Marine Mammal Studies, which we're going to come over, over to here in just a second, they may only know you as Ocean Adventures, but what, what they don't realize is sort of the foundation for Ocean Adventures is the Institute for Marine Mammal Studies and this long, wonderful history of having so many important roles to play uh, in 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 this community. So, when you think about ocean adventures these days, how how is it doing? Well, it's doing wonderfully well. Uh, we've been very blessed. Um, you know, a lot of people. I mean, things have changed. A lot of people look at your internet and find what they want to do and uh, come come to places where. They feel they can benefit from it. Ocean Adventures is really one part of the institute. It's the educational part of it, and uh, to create good stewardship. But we have education, conservation, research, public display, and so all of this is under one umbrella. This is a very unique facility. Uh, Senator Lott and Senator Cochran many years ago, especially after Katrina, told me to think outside the box and create something not only unique for Mississippi, but for the entire Gulf Coast. And I have to tell you that today, you know, with our collaboration with Mississippi State University, and especially their College of Veterinary Medicine, we're not only recognized in the United States, 
but people from all over the world now come to see how we do the things we do, especially responding to oil spills and uh, natural uh, disasters. And so uh, we have a very strong uh, education, conservation, and research uh, aspects in addition to Ocean Adventures, which is open to the public to make them understand the importance of our environment and the uh, organisms that live in it. A lot, a lot to say grace over. Um, one more, one more thing about Ocean Adventures. Um, people continue to go there. They enjoy it. I actually went to uh, TripAdvisor this morning, depending on sort of what you ask. One way or the other, Ocean Adventures pops up as being in the top, uh, very top tier of coast of Mississippi. <clears throat> how did it, how did this, how did your summer go from uh, just looking at the pure numbers point of view? Yeah, it went really well. I mean, even during the uh, COVID-19 uh, uh, period, uh, we were able to restructure. One thing, uh, let me tell you why Ocean Adventures is very different than many other places. Uh, it is an interactive facility. If you recall, you know, when we were growing up, both of us, I'm, I think I'm a little bit older than you are, uh, you used to see animals in cages behind bars at zoos. Then there were habitats, uh, like in the 90s and early 2000s. Uh, people now want to be in the habitat. They want to be with the animals. And so what we do now is, for example, you can interact with the dolphins, get kisses from the sea lion, the birds come to you. You can go and snorkel with the stingrays and sharks. This experience is probably key to why people prefer to come here, in addition to being very affordable. And so we have looked at our demographics. And uh, today, you know, we are getting people uh, from... Alabama, even Florida, Georgia, which which Mississippi never had uh, for uh, this type of attraction. They all went to Florida. And so um, uh, we were always the uh, clients of uh, Louisiana, Texas, uh, Oklahoma, and Arkansas. So I think uh, uh, the offerings that we have uh, are very unique. And that is, I think, uh, one of the major reasons for success. We have, of course, birthday parties. We have... Uh, uh, summer camps. So combination of all this has made a big difference. Well, it has. Um, I, I was always impressed with the amount of thought you guys put into the infrastructure of that facility. You know, the, sal the salinity um, equipment, the, the way that you purify the water there. I mean, it's a massive undertaking, isn't it? It is not only massive, it's 24-7. We have to have people here all the time to manage the life support systems, make sure all the animals are doing well. Uh, you know, like I said, we have a veterinary hospital. We have a collaborative effort with the College of Veterinary Medicine who have stationed two of their veterinarians on, uh, on site, and then many of their specialists come back and forth. Uh, we have a very solid conservation program, research program, uh, we study wild animals, how they use their habitat. That is crucial to what we are doing with this Bonnie Carey spillway issues. Uh, we have a very good relationship with the DMR and DEQ. Uh, we work very closely with federal agencies like NOAA and U.S. Fish and Wildlife. So uh, we, we are really something to reckon with, uh, at least in the Gulf of Mexico and in the northern part. I know that you are. And in fact, when we come back, we'll talk a little bit more about Bonnie Carey Spillway, the recent uh, well that, that washed up ashore in Pastor's Jan, and the role that you guys played in that. Um, 
There's always so much to talk about when I get with you on the show, and I'm looking forward to spending the whole show with you. So we'll be back here in just a second with Dr. Moby Solange. We'll see you after this. Live or on demand and watch episodes of Coast View on your laptop, desktop, or on your phone or tablet by going to supertalkmsgulfcoast.com. His love for the coast is why he's here. It's Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I always enjoy uh, visiting with my friend Moby Solange. We go back a long, long, long way. Long before I became publisher of the Sun-Herald, I had significant interest in his efforts. And as publisher of the Sun-Herald, and even when I went over to uh, Alabama, stayed in touch with the, the Institute for Marine Mammal Studies through Dr. Uh, Moby Solange, because the work is really important. They've done some pioneering work as it relates to dolphins and turtles, and the work that they do, again, he mentioned the, the collaboration with Mississippi State, the School of Veterinary Medicine there in particular, but what they're doing uh, to help continue to keep the focus on the health of the Mississippi Sound of the Gulf of Mexico is really important. And as Moby Solange and I have discussed before, and for people who have not heard our conversation about this before, the dolphin population in the Mississippi Sound is some of the most important population in the world, really. And we're very it's very unique, in fact, that um, we're able to study the dolphins and learn a lot about the habitat. And the way that Moby Solange talks about it is they're sort, sort of the canary in the landmine. And so whether, whether it's the oil spill or whether it's the Bonnie Carey Spillway opening, which we'll come to a little bit later in this conversation, the, the, the role that the Center for Marine Mammal Studies plays in studying the dolphins, it, it really opens up so much knowledge about the health of the ecosystem, doesn't it, Moby? Absolutely. You summed it really well. Um, these animals are on top of the food chain, and they reflect the health of the entire ecosystem. As you know, that the ecosystem starts small organisms, and they go bigger and bigger, and these animals being on the top uh, will reflect how everything is going on. And when they start dying, we are next. And so um, uh, this is, again, a very important habitat, the largest dolphin population in the United States, this is also, the Mississippi Sound is also the nursery where all the baby dolphins are born. It's a shallow uh, a body of water where the baby dolphins are protected from drowning and from predators. Uh, it's also a very uh, critical habitat for the most endangered sea turtle, which is the Camps Ridley, which gives birth in Mexico, but all the uh, young come and grow in, in uh, uh, this environment. So this gives us a pretty good handle on... Uh, of monitoring the uh, ecosystem. Now we depend on it from uh, not only tourism, you know, recreational fisheries, commercial fisheries, uh, people going to the beaches, uh, uh, our seafood. And so the reason why we are on the Gulf Coast is our Mississippi Sound and the ecosystem. And I think that is where our impact is. We, we try to provide information so that proper strategies can be utilized to mitigate this. That's our job. We want to have prudent development. We want to have development because that is what is needed for the success and survival of human beings. But if it is done in a prudent manner, and the only way you can do that is having good and accurate information. Well, Moby, you've done a really good job of educating me. That's why I was able to sum that up the way that I did. Uh, pay very close attention to what you had to 
teach me. Um, what the other thing that you've taught me is that generally <clears throat> the Mississippi Sound in the Gulf of Mexico is an incredibly resilient body of water. It really is. It, but it can only stand so much over time. Uh, as it relates to the Gulf of Mexico, you have uh, so many states and provinces that that drain through the Mississippi River as this huge watershed. Yeah. That uh, and you don't the Gulf of Mexico doesn't have the ability to sort of move the water out. It's gonna it's gonna stay in the Gulf of Mexico. Same thing's true for the Mississippi Sound. You can it can only take so much. Again, they, they are very resilient, but uh, but we have to stay focused on not putting them in a position where they have to prove their resiliency. We we really sort of want to keep them pristine and so on. If you look at the the population of uh, of turtles and especially dolphins these days, what do you see? Is it is it pretty healthy these days? Yeah, it it really took a, a deep uh, a beating during the BP oil spill, and then uh, now in in 2019, <clears throat> large numbers of them died. When you have long lived species that die, it takes them much longer to recover. I mean, for example, uh, sea turtles can live to 80 or 90 years. And if you take their juvenile population out, it's going to take many, many years to recover. Same thing with dolphins. They can live to about 30 or 35, 40 years. And uh, when you start uh, removing adults or sub-adults, it's going to take that much time. And so, but you're absolutely right. Most people don't realize that the Mississippi River is not connected to the Mississippi Sound. And so when you bring in this water, which you very accurately pointed out, that is bringing agricultural and industrial and sewage waste from 31 states and two provinces in Canada, uh, uh, both Mississippi and Louisiana suffer from it because we are now their dump. And all mm-hmm. this uh, polluted water, it's not just uh, uh, fresh water, it is polluted river water that now comes in and the Mississippi Sound, for example, the tidal fluctuation is one or two feet. So you're not going to get a lot of uh, inflow and outflow where there could be a lot of mixing. And so it kind of uh, stagnates and totally destroys the, the ecosystem infrastructure, which is from the bottom feeders, the oyster reefs, the, the nurseries. And, and when we come to the uh, Army Corps issue, uh, the Mississippi Sound is the nursery, not only for just dolphins, but for everything else. And when you kill the goose that lays the golden egg, you can't tell them you can go find the golden egg 100 miles from here. There is not yeah. going to be a golden egg because the nurse is going to be dead. So anyway, that is what we have used these uh, top predators as an indicator species. And uh, the, the resilience is only so much. And if you keep on stabbing it, eventually it's going to fall apart. That's why you have these dead zones. At the mouth of the river in the summertime, it can be as big as 10,000 square miles. It's bigger than some of the states. You take that much uh, uh, productivity out of the system, it's going to suffer. Yeah, it's a, it's a, and after the oil spill, I think, uh, of course, we've known about this dead zone and the fact that it's growing for, for many, many years. But it was after the oil spill that I think you know America's focus, at least for a period of time, was on that dead zone. So the accumulation of the of the impact of the dead zone from the Mississippi River, from all those over nutrification and pollution and all that, combined with the oil spill, and uh, you know, I, I, I'm sure that sometimes, especially in the aftermath of the oil spill, you were just shaking your head, saying, "Man, how much more can it bear?" 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is tough, you know, like the, the impacts are growing, population is growing, the use of, uh, um, you know, various, uh, 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 you know, projects developing that are utilizing um, the, the Gulf of Mexico and the estuarine waters, uh, and the impact is great. You have noise issues. A lot of people don't realize noise in the oceans has increased, and especially marine mammals uh, live through their echolocation, which is they detect each other and things through sound. And so uh, when they can't forage, when they cannot find their mates, uh, they're going to be affected. When they go deaf, they die. And so uh, those are issues that we study. I mean, that comes from additional boating, uh, seismic activities, uh, and that can affect uh, dolphins and whales. Uh, I'm sure you're seeing some of the news stories coming out of the East Coast where lots of whales are dying now. We don't know what the cause is. But uh, those are things that uh, are giving you an indication that something is going on that we need to pay attention. We'll come back. We'll come back to the whale and Pastor Shan here in just a second. But while we're on this, because you've done a really good job of sort of laying the groundwork for why this conversation around the Bonnie Carey spillway is so important. So let me summarize it. Let me summarize the the sort of structural thing that we're dealing with, and then you can add. You can say what I forget to say, but essentially. There are, there are two real there are several by the way but two really main uh, spillways one is called the Bonacary spillway and they all both of these incidentally are north of New Orleans and um, and there are, there's pre- prescriptions excuse me and there's Morganza. Yeah, I was gonna, I was going to I was going to mention the Morganza but both both of them both the Morganza and the Bonacary but both of these spillways uh, there's a prescription to say how many cubic uh, is it is it yards or feet yeah of of water coming down the mississippi river once it gets to a certain point then it opens up um what's happened let's take 2019 for example lots and lots of rain and too much water way too much water they opened up the bonnie carey spillway not once but twice in one year and you had salinity levels of, of mississippi sound to fret completely fret with no salinity all the way over as far over as, as uh, Deer Island and even maybe even further over than that. Um, there's a there's a there's a hesitation to open the, the Marganza spillway. There's a lot of you know debate about that. But uh, what the what the Corps of Engineers has done is you know and it's all in an effort to keep New Orleans from from flooding. <laughs> that's at the end of the day that's what this is all about. So to keep New Orleans from flooding. Uh, they opened the Bonacary Spillway and destroy our environment in the process. And they said our environment is less important than flooding the city of New Orleans. Well, there's been a lot of work actually uh, around this. And there's been, before they didn't have to get any input from us. But the U.S. District Court, the Southern District, has just recently uh, ruled that the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers has created environmental harm and has to reach out and sort of change their process. We're going to talk more about that in a second. But when we come back, I want I want to make sure you have a sense of sort of the, the mechanics of the spillways, and then we'll get into what the court just ruled. We'll see you after this. iTunes, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. 
He's the former president and publisher of the Sun-Herald, and now he's on the radio. Welcome to Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. I have my friend Dr. Moby Solange from the Institute for Marine Mammal Studies. He's just a really good friend. And we were talking about we're talking about uh, a recent court ruling related to the Bonacary Spillway. We'll get into the specifics of the court ruling here in just a second and why it's important, but uh, say what I forgot to say as it relates to the spillway scenario that we're dealing with. Yeah, uh, the more uh, the problem is everything is man uh, created. Uh, we have created this issue. We wanted uh, uh, the Mississippi River to follow a certain path so that we can have uh, uh, you know shipping traffic and trade. And again, uh, the reason American products are so competitive in the world is because of this Mississippi River that we can barge this stuff and cheaply send our, our products throughout the world. But in doing so, you know, we have controlled the flow, the natural flow of the river. And to do that, we have created levees and, and all these other uh, structures. So the structure of Morganza was to protect Baton Rouge. And so 30% of the water, the, the true direction is through the Chafalaya Basin. That's where the Mississippi River went through and created uh, the Delta. Now, what they did was they had to make sure that Baton Rouge and New Orleans were becoming hubs for trade, and, and so the river would flow in that direction. However, when they did this thing in the, in the uh, 20s, 1920s, they have uh, uh, decided that we will maneuver the water uh, in a way that uh, it'll balance it out, but they haven't done that because of the fact all the areas that were supposed to be flood prone in uh, the Chafalaya Basin area are now uh, being used for business entities. So the uh, the federal government has not enforced that you have a flood zone. Now you start putting buildings and uh, business opportunities, and then the same people say come and protect us. So they've not opened the uh, the bon- I mean uh, the Morganza. If they open up the Morganza. For example, the other thing they're using is the flow is 1 million cube uh, CFS uh, at uh, um, uh, 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 Morganza, Morganza. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. and 1.25 downstreams. If they open up Morganza, the flow would be lesser for Bonnie Carey. If they just reversed it, if they open that up when the flow is higher, boom, you know, there'd be less water coming in. So. There's a lot of politics that goes in because all those people who have now businesses, the crawfish farms and sugarcane and all of that would be affected because they are using those areas that were designated as flood prone to now. Uh, so also you, you you can't have under the commerce clause of the, uh, the, the Constitution, you can't have one state affect the business of another state. What happens if Louisiana says we have some nuclear waste, but Mississippi has a lot of land. Let's go put it there. Yeah. Can you do yeah. that without asking yeah. Mississippi? No, you couldn't. So why would this be able to send polluted water back here? So let's uh, let's so that people can sort of get this in their heads. Imagine the Mississippi River is coming down, and then what it does, it curves. You know, again, so that Baton Rouge and New Orleans can benefit from the commerce that's related to that. But essentially, what it really wanted to do is continue to come on down. Now, if you think of Louisiana as sort of this this uh, peninsula. The part that we're talking about, the Morganza would have served, would have been to the west 
of Louisiana and come on out into the Gulf of Mexico through the uh, through the uh, Chafalaya Basin. Um, and then, of course, the, the Bonnie Carey Spillway takes it into essentially Lake Pontchartrain, then through Lake Bourne, and then into the Mississippi Sound. Um, you know, you've got again politics are are crazy on this conversation, as you well know. We're not we're not splitting the difference of pain here, and so it seems to me that the Chafalaya Basin has done a better job of lobbying. But then on top of that, isn't there some concern about the about the spillway, the Merganza spillway, about the stability of that, and that if if it were ever to be undermined or we were to ever lose that. I mean, it would literally affect the economic viability. It would have a worldwide impact, wouldn't it? Well, yes. I mean, but, you know, those things are all engineering issues, and they have to look at it. I mean, they created that in the 50s, and nothing has happened. Uh, I don't think it has been open for decades. And so, uh, but again, uh, now they, what they have done is, in addition to that, the Mississippi River, once it gets into uh, Louisiana, Let's say 100 years ago, it was 100 feet deep. Now, over time, it's silted, and the only areas that they dredge is to so the shipping traffic can go in. So it's basically, if you look at the watershed as a bathtub and, and the drain coming into Louisiana, if your drain is clogged, wh- where do you think the water will go? It'll overflow from the bathtub, right? And it'll cause flooding. So what do these geniuses do? Instead of unclogging the drain, they drill holes in the side of the drain and relieve the water, which is what the spillways and diversions are. So all of that is clogged. They could do a better job in dredging and opening up the drain so that more water can flow. And it would not. And so instead of dredging it down, they have these levees that hold the water together. And when it gets so bad, it goes over the levees and it floods. And so they have to pull these little holes. And the spill, the difference between a spillway and a diversion is a spillway is controlled. A diversion is open all the time. There are already five diversions coming on the east side of the river into the, into Britain Sound. The Britain Sound is pretty much uh, being wiped out in the last 30, 40 years. None of these diversions have done a whole lot of good for Louisiana. Why is it going to be better? And this whole idea that uh, this river will, with its force, bring sediment. Ricky, the the important thing is 200 years ago, the amount of sediment was significantly higher than today because all the dams upstream have taken out the sediment. So it's almost 90% of the sediment is gone. So all we're going to do with these diversions and spillways is bring the polluted water with very little sediment. It's going to take 50 years to create 27,000 or 2,700 acres. Now think about that. I mean, we can't predict what a hurricane will do a month out. These geniuses think that they can predict what would happen in 50 years based on some engineering model. Models are only as good as what you feed that computer in. Yeah, actually, uh, 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 herein lies within this part of the conversation as it relates to the reduction in sediment lies the, uh, the whole issue of Louisiana literally disappearing. I mean, we not, it's not, that's the Mississippi River replenished uh, the land, in fact, created more land. Uh, but over time, with that, with that being reduced, you've seen unbelievable degradation of land in Louisiana. And there's nothing that's going to happen that, that's on the, on the uh, framework right now that's going to change that, is there, Moby? Well, yeah, it's not only the Mississippi River 
that has affected the flow of it. You have oil and gas industry that is, uh, you know, affecting it. Uh, you know, there's also uh, uh, issues of this, uh, uh, you know, land just uh, uh, falling down. Yeah, yes. because, yeah. you know, when you take oil and gas, the land uh, will fall down and create, you know, more uh, problems. And so all the canals that are being built, the intrusion of salt water. So uh, there's a lot more to balance than just simple thing. Okay, let's go turn this river this way. And, <laughs> and we, 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 we cannot recreate nature. We do try to, but when we try to solve one problem, it creates two others. So what the, what the most recent court ruling said is that the uh, Corps of Engineers, in fact, violated the Magnuson-Stevens uh, Fisheries Conservation and Management Act. And we'll talk more about why that's important. It's an important step. It's not going to dramatically change the direction of the Corps in, the, in this moment, but it will start to open up important conversations uh, in the in the realm of the National Marine Fisheries Service, which is another federal agency. But in that regard, we're going to have a little bit more input, maybe a lot more input. What's your read on that? I think it's a very good first step, but it's going to be also a political folks have to get up. I will commend the Mississippi Sound Coalition, uh, all the uh, supervisors and the mayors from these three counties, Gerald Blessy and uh, Robert Weigel, uh, that put a really good effort. And, and the basis of this whole issue is that this non-Indigenous water has come into the Mississippi Sound, which is a nursery for fish and shellfish and all these other organisms. And the Magnuson-Stevens Act says that if you're going to affect a nursery, you have to have certain mitigation issues that were not done. And just to give you an example, Louisiana was able to, in the middle of the night, get a waiver to kill the dolphins to create barataria uh, diversion so that they wouldn't violate the Marine Mammal Protection Act. They did try to get a waiver on the essential fish habitat, which is a fancy word for wiping out the nursery, which they didn't get. There's also the Endangered Species Act, because by their action, they're going to wipe out the turtles, they're going to wipe out the nurseries in trying to, thinking that they're going to create land with the very little sediment that's in there, and that's that's what's going to happen. You're making an actually really important point. <clears throat> part of this, part of this is not just related to uh, the the opening of the Bonacary Spillway, but it's all actions that the Corps has taken as it relates to the Mississippi River because there are other diversion projects and other things that are happening. That actually is a good thing because this this may slow them down from from creating more damage in the future. Hey, when we come back, we'll continue our conversation with Dr. Moby Solange and uh, continue this important conversation as it relates to the uh, Bonacary Spillway. We'll see you after this break. Listen live to Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on your Amazon Alexa devices. Once you've enabled the skill, just say Alexa. Open Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast. This is Coast View with Ricky Matthews on Super Talk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1. Welcome back to Coast View. Uh, I, I heard uh, I had taken a quick break and I heard uh, during the, during the uh, break a conversation between Kyle and Moby. Uh, we have Dr. Moby Solange from the Institute of Marine Mammal Studies, and we're talking about the Bonacary Spillway and the recent uh, judge's ruling 
um, that that ruled in favor of the coalition, and now there has to be a much more rigorous process or in, input uh, through the National Marine Fisheries. Um, I thought that Robert Weigel and uh, Gerald Blessy did a did a terrific job of representing Robert as a lead lawyer, and um, you know, a lot, I think a lot of people probably would have looked at this uh, this suit uh, with skepticism to say that people rarely get rulings against the Corps of Engineers in their favor because the Corps is just you talk about a group that's lawyered up. <laughs> and uh, I, I read, in fact, let me see if I can find it. Uh, the Corps argued that you guys had failed to identify a concrete and particularized injury, causation, or redressability, <laughs> which is to simply say, in spite of all this evidence about how the, the Bonnie Carey Spillway had impacted uh, Oystermen and all these other data that came out of that, that, that you didn't make your case. I'm amazed by that. But a lot of people felt you, you guys didn't have a snowball's chance in hell, didn't they? Absolutely. I, I, and I, like I said, I'm, I'm really amazed that this ruling has come and we should uh, really uh, commend uh, our uh, judicial system that they looked at this very carefully. Uh, they were here. They saw this. I mean, if it was in uh, Washington, D.C. or in San Francisco, uh, they would not have actually uh, seeing is believing, you know, things you can send pictures no matter what you do. But it is important that uh, having somebody that was in the area saw what actually happened and could have related to it. So uh, uh, Judge Garola was uh, really outstanding in his evaluation and analysis. Uh, but I, I should also commend that, uh, you know, these uh, folks in these counties uh, made the effort under the most difficult uh, uh, circumstances and were able to get this ruling. I mean, this is a major uh, step in helping mitigate, resolve, make it better. Yeah, I think it will lead to a really, really important conversations and future studies and future collaborations that could help make uh, ultimately sort of financing some of the solutions in, in ways that we maybe we weren't going to have before. But I'm looking at the, the coalition. Uh, let me let me tell you who the members are. City of Biloxi, City of D'Iberville, City of Diamond Head, Pasture Shan, City of Waveland, Hancock County, Harrison County, Mississippi Commercial Fisheries United Incorporated, and the Mississippi Hotel and Lodging Association. Man, what a great and strong, and you're, you're I mean, you're fortunate that so many uh, entities came together on this. But And I'm not calling anyone out, because this is a very positive statement that I want to make, is there are some names missing from that list. There are some cities missing from that list. There's a county missing from that list. Um, the state is missing from that list. And, you know, I know that, you know, we talked about the Chafalaya Basin and that they've got their politics right, and so the Merganza doesn't get opened, and we end up taking the brunt of it. Um, and that politics is, you know, big time involved in that, et cetera. Politics is involved in Mississippi. There are reasons why people don't join in suits and do whatever they're going to do. But I hope that this judge's ruling creates a moment. A pro I, I used to say when I was leading projects at Knight Ritter, a process check. Let's just let's do a little time out here. Can we add others to the coalition now? Can we? Can the state become a party to this now? Can we come? Come now that we've proven we can do this. Can we? Can we fortify our position of strength now and make the coalition stronger? What What are the conversations you guys have about that? Well, I think uh, uh, that's a very, very uh, important uh, 
uh, you know, overview of what has happened. Uh, and I think it's a, a moment of reflection um, that, uh, you know, people really didn't believe this was going to happen. Now it has happened. It's a success story that I think uh, people should sit back and say, okay, it really means something. And uh, they should all now get together. And And I know that uh, uh, Senator Cindy Hyde-Smith and uh, uh, Senator Wicker and uh, all our congressional leaders are going to now really look at this to strengthen the laws, make sure they find a solution and not just, uh, which, which is beneficial to the entire nation, to both Louisiana and Mississippi, specifically for Mississippi, because nobody has given us a seat at the table. Now, at least we have a say so, because our resources, and in my mind, if this uh, these diversions continue without proper mitigation, it's an existential threat to the resources of the state of Mississippi. And I am not just making this up. We were, we, if the Bonnie Carey spillway issue hadn't happened in 2019 and people did not actually see uh, the results of it and experience the results of this, they would have gone with this mantra, we're gonna take the river, it'll bring the sediment, it'll create the land and everybody can go happy in 50 years uh, uh, Moby and others won't be here to question us. Yeah, and there's no doubt about it. Cal, this is the last segment. Is that correct? Yeah. Okay. I, I just want to. I just wanted to check. We uh, we we didn't get a chance to talk about the well and past Christian. So what we'll do is because that's an important story. I don't. Want, we don't have time to get into the depths of it. We'll have Moby back on in the next week or two, and we'll get into it, the whole story of why. That's important to understand and what the role of his team has been in that. But until then, it's been terrific talking to you. And I'm not surprised that we just basically ran out of time because there was so much good stuff to talk about. But uh, Moby, it's been a pleasure, my friend. It is great. Uh, and I hope, like I said, we're going to be meeting tomorrow at 2 o'clock with the Mississippi Sound Coalition at IMMS. I'm their scientific advisor. Yes. And we're going to provide them additional information to make sure that we stay ahead of the curve. You bet, my friend. We'll see you in a couple of weeks, though. We'll come back and talk about the well. when we. Uh, anyway, so uh, have a great day, and we will see you tomorrow. Supertalk Mississippi Gulf Coast 103.1 on Facebook. Facebook.com slash Supertalk MS Coast 103.1. A Supertalk Mississippi media production.